0: Hello and welcome to Books on the Go, a podcast where we talk about our book of the week. I'm Anna Bailey Carris, and I'm here with Annie Waters. Hi, Annie. Hi, how you doing? And baby Otto is with us today, and he's wide hey. awake. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how we go. This is a see how we go episode. Um, And this week, we've been reading Wifedom, Mrs. Orwell's Invisible Life by Anna Funder. But first, book news, and belatedly, we'll talk about the Booker Prize 2023 shortlist, which has been announced, which was last week. And this is going to be quite comical because I don't think we can add much to the discussion that I'm sure many of you have already been listening to over the past week. But I'll Let's run through it, Annie. Study for Obedience by Sarah Bernstein. If I Survive You by Jonathan Escoffery. This Other Eden by Paul Harding. Prophet Song by Paul Lynch. Western Lane by Chetna Mar- Maru, and The Beasting by Paul Murray. So the comments that I've heard, and we should add, I've only read one, and I think Annie, I've not read any, not none. No. Um, <laughs> Um, the only other comments that I'd heard is so many polls, because it's three yes. polls out of the six authors. That's um, true. I hadn't even noticed that. That was that's really the feedback that I've heard. But in fact, the the other thing I tell a lie. The other thing I have heard is that the bee sting is really good. That's there's been yes, a bit of a
1: from what I've read about them, that seems to be the favorite.
0: So Annie, what <laughs> any other hot tips? Uh, Well, no, I don't know.
1: I've not read any of them. And reading over the um, blurbs again, none of them really appeal to me. They all seem a bit grim. I think by the sounds of it, this other Eden, which you've read, is wonderful. And probably I would read that. And then, yeah, The Beasting is the one that I've been hearing the most about. But, yeah, I think I'll wait till something wins and then give that a go maybe. But, yeah, nothing is jumping out at me as something that I would pick.
0: Uh, I've been loving Matthew Sharappa's uh, he's been doing the video I think I mentioned it in our last episode but he was reading the long list and he did mm-hmm. make a comment the point he that he'd got to which I don't think was the whole long list so there might have been exceptions but he did at one point say this is a perfectly fine book but I don't see it as a Booker Prize winner. And he'd found that again and again and again on the long list. So I wonder if you're having the same the same reaction. So mm. let's wait and see on that one. That's the Booker Prize yes. shortlist. But do let us know if you have read any of those because we're wide open. I have heard good things about If I Survive You. That was the other one, but I feel... I've got mixed feelings about that because it also sounds like a book of short stories that they repackaged to make it fit within the long-form piece of fiction category yes, yeah. for the for the prize, mm. which we don't know. We'll never know if that's what they did, uh, but it also does sound good. Yes. So, on uh, no, and the only other bit of news that we just saw today was that, There has been, the Atlantic has released a a link where you can search for as an author, if your books have been used by one of the companies that has marketed, produced and marketed a chat GPI, no, not GPI, Annie, help me. A GPT, <laughs> an AI, a generative AI product, which Chat GPT yeah. I think is one, but there are others, including some that were produced by Meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook, and possibly Google <laughs> as well. Um, what they've done is they've uh, built their generative AI product. I'm calling it a product. I don't know if that's the correct word. Um, and to build the intelligence, I suppose they have used books by. Author, well, real books by authors, but they have used them without their consent. So they it's referred to as pirated copies. I don't know what they mean by pirated, whether that means they have not paid for the book or that they have mm. been use, it's essentially like breaching copyright. If you're using it in a way that the writing could be reproduced more than for private use, maybe that would be the angle that you'd use. But in any event, the authors didn't even know this was happening. And they're now searching their names and finding that their books have been used. And then, of course, what happens is that the company has is selling and, and monetizing it and making money from the product and the authors haven't, of course, been paid anything. So um, the Australian Society for Authors, I think it's called, put out a statement today. The Writers Guild of America has done something similar and I think they're, I don't know if, what sort of action they're taking, but the authors are certainly a, quite disturbed.
1: There's a class action happening in America, definitely. Um, I read the American Society of Authors statement and I've, Said that people can um, search their work, and if it's has if they've been affected, then they can sign up to the class action. But I don't know how effective that will be and how long term it will be. But it for me is just such a double whammy because AI, you know, takes away from the creative industries and is really putting creative people's jobs at risk. By you know, if, especially if you write for websites or write content or even journalism is turning to AI generated content now, which is questionable. And so you're taking jobs away from people and then to also do that on the backs of creative people without providing them with any compensation or credit, yeah, it's just a, a double a double cut, really.
0: Well, I think we're in that transition time. I feel like we're constantly in these transition times mm-hmm. with technology with in terms of our generation, but this seems to me putting aside the pirating and the this breach let's call it a breach but putting aside this issue that's just arisen but this the more general issue that you talk about it seems to me a transition where people are still working out how to use ai and how to use in particular when it comes to writing and words and literature and journalism they're still working out the best because there are ways it can be used to add value and that's not the same as plagiarising or taking those sort of, you know, doing people out of a job and saying, well, instead of a journalist, we'll just get a chat bot to write this. That's a that's maybe not the best use of it. And there's still, I feel like the dust is still settling. The
1: internet moves at such a fast pace and legislation can't keep up.
0: Well, it can't regulate it quickly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think this just falls into that category of things that, maybe it's too hard basket to it, and it's already done. You know, it's it's one of those things. It's kind of a fait accompli, how we hold these people to account. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the US, especially because I think mm. they have a better chance of um, getting some kind of compensation there than we do here.
0: But yes, we will stay tuned for that one. And now onto our book of the week, Wifedom by Anna Funder. Anna Funder is an Australian author, but she's very global. She grew up partly in San Francisco and Paris and she's lived in uh, Brooklyn recently and now relocated back to Sydney. And she's trained as a human rights lawyer, but also been a writer of both nonfiction and fiction. And notably her book, Stasi Land, uh, which was published several years ago now, won the Samuel Johnson Prize, which is now the Bailey Gifford Prize, and has become a classic, I think, a modern classic. So Stasi Land was the story of the people in East Berlin after World War II and, and during and after World War II and when the, the wall came down, well, went up, I should say, um, but she talks to both Stasi officers and also people who resisted the regime and really talks to ordinary people and tells their stories in a very propulsive way. And it's been described as a masterpiece. And it was also blurbed by Tom Hanks, among others. And it's now also been made into a stage show, I believe. So that's a real modern classic. And I read that and it's excellent. And I, you know, I just highly recommend Stasi-Land. And also then a novel, All That I Am, which won the Miles Franklin Award, which is Australia's highest literature award. Um, And again, going back to World War II, but this is more a fictionalised story but drawn from true events. A group of people resist fascism and they go from Germany to London, but it was that, I think at the time, quite an untold story of the people within Germany, who were resisting Hitler. And now I feel like we've seen a few of those stories coming through. But at the time that I read it, at least, I hadn't seen something like that before. But it was, again, beautifully written. And now we have Wifedom. So, Wifedom, I don't know how we would describe it, Annie, but let's call it a biography in a new form. So, an innovative form of biography. And it's about Eileen O'Shaughnessy, who was also known as Eileen Orwell, she was married to George Orwell, and she was Anna Funder found quite invisible in history. And so Anna Funder wanted to write about her and Anna Funder comes to this as a huge fan of George Orwell's work. So this gives it another interesting angle, but she wanted to tell Eileen's story and she found that Eileen had almost been written out of history, Um, not just in the sense that George is obviously the more famous of the two of them and there's been a lot of, there have been biographies about him and he's written his own memoirs and and autobiographies, as it were, but none of those refer to Eileen or only very tangentially. Um, But it goes beyond that where she starts to find things like that they use passive language so they'll say things like visas were obtained and of course what happened was that Eileen was obtaining the visas and she would just be written out of it and that she started to see just so many cases of this happening that it I think really started to make her angry and and drove some of the writing of this book the way this is written is Part of it is a biography of Eileen Orwell or Eileen O'Shaughnessy in the standard form. Part of it is fictional vignettes. And that's almost a way of bringing her, of of highlighting the gap in history by saying, well, I have to make this up, not make it up, but I have to write this in a fictional way because it's just a huge gap in our knowledge. We don't know what happened here, but Let's imagine, knowing the facts that we do know, let's imagine how this would have played out. And there there are just these beautiful, crisp vignettes um, of her life with George. And the other aspect of it, which lends a personal feel, is that Anna Funder ties it in with her own stories of her own experience being a wife and of wifedom. And I found that really interesting. So I flew through this and found it really, her clean writing, very strong. She's always so intelligent. So that really comes through. And then just the inventiveness of the way she's approached it, which still feels organic to the subject. I'll be interested to hear what you thought, Annie. It's had rave reviews. So Antonia Fraser has called it wonderful, unexpected. Kirkus Reviews has described it as electrifying. The Guardian calls it brilliant. Um, Publishers Weekly says this shines. Claire Tomalin has said a truly wonderful biography. Anna Funder has written another brilliant human portrait. And there are many, many more blurbs, but I can see Otto is just starting to fade a tiny bit, Annie. So let me quickly ask you, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I really loved it. I think I echo definitely the things that you've said about, I think her argumentation is so good. You know, she really takes you with her. What could be quite a controversial premise, I guess, which is that George Orwell, the man, was not necessarily living up to his ideals as George Orwell, the thinker. I think she challenges herself on that. And she really wants to think of him as this good person or this person who could write the kind of high-minded books that he did. But gradually as she learns more and more about Eileen's life and about the other women in his life that he mistreated and wrote out of his histories and whether that's a blindness on his part or whether that is a more deliberate kind of erasure and wanting to be the individual, the man who did it all on his own steam, it's hard to say and she doesn't really kind of make conjecture about that. But yeah, I just totally went with it. And I loved the use of the letters that she writes. So she wrote seven letters to her best friend, Nora, who actually she never saw after she married George, because he was quite controlling. And reading through the lines, you start to think, was this an abusive relationship? You know, he's very domineering. He's very needy. He controls who she sees. He controls the money. He controls everything. But whether that's because it was the time that it was, or whether that's a more specific relationship that they have. It's hard to say. But, yes, yeah, so I really loved that she used those letters to give Eileen's voice um, onto the page and then kind of embroidered around them the details of where she would have been sitting and what the sitting room would have looked like, the dog's head on her lap and that kind of thing. She, although she calls it fiction, you know, it's more of an imagining of of the reported Voice that we do have of Eileen, so I really liked that she was as true to the facts as we have them. I'm her, sorry for our know. listeners who
0: can't see Otto just did the most, the cutest little I'm about to cry face. I and call the, it his,
1: I call it the Pagliacci. It's like the saddest clown's face.
0: It, <laughs> it is. That's exactly what he did. But he's been very good. So yeah, you really, really see how we go? Yeah. So you really um, enjoyed it by the sound. I
1: really it. enjoyed it, and I think. Yeah, a lot of the ideas that she brought up, especially around, you know, the, the tools that biographers and George Orwell himself used to kind of write Eileen out of history was fascinating. The passive voice and then also double speak, and talking around, you know, the kind of euphemisms that they used to talk about affairs and his sexual kind of oddities that they just assumed that Eileen went along with because that's what he presented to the world. But if you read between the lines, especially in her own letters, she's not content with him going off and philandering and chasing other women and all of this stuff. She would rather it didn't happen, but she also, she has a complicated relationship with him. She respects him. She loves him and she sees his genius. And what other choice does she have? He takes her away from society. He takes her away from what could have been a really interesting career. And was it psychology she was studying?
0: I think so. I can't Um, can't remember because was it philosophy or psychology? It's a while since I've read it. One or the other. Yeah. I've read it. So,
1: So, yeah. And she comes through as just the most interesting person. And I wish that we had more of her words. You know, she was funny. She was right. She was such a good seer of people. And I think Anna Funder does a really good job as well of drawing the link between, in his work, Animal Farm, especially is a joint work that they talked about it together, they laughed about it together, and she was the one who provided the caricatures. She was the one who said, well, perhaps this should be a fable rather than a really dry political tale. And you can tell it's different from his other books. It's got a lightness of touch that I think he otherwise doesn't, it doesn't come easily to him.
0: No, and that was interesting. You got a whole sense of his personality and his, you know, let's say socially awkward, I would almost say. And which which again shows how she brought that human touch or the mm. animal touch, which makes it more accessible to humans, um, mm. ironically, to Animal Farm, and that she softened him perhaps in that way. But as you say, quite a wry character herself. I agree. I thought it was so well done without being judgmental because Anna Funda was a fan of his. So mm. she's try- she's being as sympathetic to his side of things as she as anyone could be, having huge respect for his work. And my only, th- well, two things, I agree with you, there was that hint of some of the characteristics of an abusive relationship like the isolation. So he's got them living in this Sounded just terrible to me, but some people might love it. But a very isolated, small house that had no running water or electricity or any, or warmth or anything at all. It was very hard to get to. Didn't they have to walk like eight miles or, miles or something? Yeah. Something crazy just to, you know, you couldn't even access it with a car or anything like that. And just that's the sort of thing that does happen in those relationships where you're cutting off you know your partner from their friends and family and so on um but the other thing was he didn't come across as very appealing and maybe that's not surprising given the thrust of the the story but you know even from when she met him and his socially awkward personality and the way he's treated her so the one thing where it, it, i was unsure of was i couldn't completely fall in love with Arlene because I thought, well, why has she really chosen to be with him? Yeah. I don't
1: know. I think by the sounds of it, she loved his writing because she had read something that he put out already, hadn't she? So I think there seems to be a bit of that like celebrity idol worship kind of thing. And by the sounds of it, he was very charismatic, even if he wasn't a super attractive person and he had some strange traits. Quirks. (laughs) Quirks, to put it mildly. (laughs) Yeah. So I I think she struggles with that too. But he was just useless in the way that lots of geniuses, you know, either can be or just they really aren't connected to reality. Mm. And when they move to that house, you know, she has to look after all the animals that he insists on having and all the food and all the washing and the cleaning and everything. And she just kind of signs up for this life life of drudgery and keeps saying, yeah. why can't we live in London, you know? And she had come from money and he hadn't. So I think there's a really interesting dichotomy there of wealth that she doesn't really bring any of her inheritance. She can't bring her inheritance with her. She was kind of living off the largesse of her brother. I think she does a great job of presenting you with all these facts and, as you say, not necessarily drawing judgment, but I definitely judged him pretty harshly by the end. I still think that, as she says, as a thinker, he is an incredible person and it is really interesting that he could see these biases in himself in relation to his writing about race, for example, or class, you know, when he goes to live with the people down and out in Paris and London. But he can't seem to see it in terms of misogyny. That's mm. an interesting question that she leaves on the table.
0: The The sympathy I have for him in, in that, when you say drudgery, is that she was doing all of those things. She was looking after the animals. She was looking after the house. She was fixing the toilet or whatever. And so why wouldn't he go with that arrangement
1: but perhaps she did and he browbeat her into submission you just don't know because there's not any record
0: no you know
1: know. so yeah the one thing that did not quite frustrate me but I thought was the weakest part was her own personal analysis of her relationship with her husband and the ways that the patriarchy and this role of wifedom still exists I think she did a good job initially of setting it up and saying, all my women friends that I talk to have the same complaints about their husband. They don't know how to do it or they don't have the time or they won't do these jobs that need to be done. But then she never really makes that, draws that to a conclusion, you know, and she doesn't push it in her own relationship, or at least she doesn't write about that. And I can understand that if she wants to stay married to her husband, perhaps that's not something that she can analyze on the page and and maybe it's still ongoing and there is no neat conclusion to it. But it did seem to me like, well, why are you bringing it up if you still are unsatisfied in this relationship? Where, as you say, you're a wealthy or you know relatively wealthy white woman living in Australia, you have all these privileges, but still you feel this oppression. You're not oppressed in the same ways that Eileen was, but it the legacy is still there. So I don't know, maybe whether she's getting at something more structural and saying the individual can't possibly change these things. But for me, I was kind of like, "But you could try. You could you could talk to your husband. You could you know put your foot down, or you know all of these things." Which sounds a little bit victim blaming when I say it now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it might but, be just a jumping off point where that's that gives her very much a reason to be interested in in Eileen's story because she can see the continuation of it in the current day, and it might be also starting to understand how we still have this in the current day. Because-
1: Everything else I thought she brought so well to a conclusion, even if it wasn't a, a, a finite conclusion. Yes. But that I felt like maybe she still needed to do some soul-searching or maybe it was too uncomfortable to broach. Yeah, but I'd be interested to hear his response to it, you know, like it it's not necessarily even a criticism. It's just something that kept me thinking.
0: It's a bigger issue and... It's and Annabel Crabb has written about it in the book Wife Drought, where yes, I
1: thought of that too.
0: It's it's just a bigger issue than any one marriage can can solve. Mm. Although certainly you know you can have those discussions at home, but I think she was more concerned not so much with her own husband as more look at what's happening still today. That's mm. you know the more yeah. dr- broad, and her stories were more just. I saw them as just simply examples of. Even in my own case, and I'm, as you say, educated and a very privileged white woman, even for me, I've got these issues. So that gives me real sympathy with what Eileen must have gone and through. And I guess
1: maybe so she includes her daughter, a few vignettes with her and her daughter having conversations. And I think her daughter and her son are kind of perhaps a little bit further along that line. So it is just kind of illustrating, you know, look how far we've come in a hundred years, and mm. this is where the next generation is going. But even so, it's still
0: not equal. I think the next generation is a bit better than our. Well, than mine. You're younger than me, so you're probably that.
1: Yeah, but I guess then younger. that goes back to her point as well that if the systems don't change, then of course you get caught up in the same.
0: The guess, same disincentives know. for women to go back to work and the same childcare issues, and that, yeah. that sort of thing, for sure. Yeah. Yes, so, but it, yeah, I found it really. Same. Really thought provoking.
1: Yeah, I think it would make a great book club book, especially in tandem with one of George Orwell's books, you know, especially one of his political books or Homage to Catalonia, which it made me want to reread, but also it made me want to throw it in the fire. So,
0: (laughs) well, it's like that, isn't it? It just makes you reconsider, and it's that issue of the art monster, you know, Mm. being married to someone who's so attached to their art and who's the so called genius who can't possibly lift a duster or do a bit of housework and it's I've always found that really interesting mm. I wanted to know Eileen more
1: <laughs> I wanted to put George
0: in the bin right I love it oh, See, I, yeah I felt I'd I'd I didn't feel that passion for Eileen. I think that's where, yeah, okay. you know, just an impression more than anything else. Yes, yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: but very well, good. Well, I think we should wrap it up. Go while the going's good is my motto. Yes, <laughs> and I can see Otto closing his eyes. So that was Wifedom, Mrs Orwell's Invisible Life by Anna Funder. And coming up next week, we'll have to talk, Annie. I'll, we'll Let's see what we'll do next. Mm. Uh, well, we've just had another sad clown face, <laughs> so uh, we'll just we'll work that out and put it up on yeah. Instagram. So stay tuned for that and we'll go and let Otto have his little nap. So yeah. that was wifedom and um you can follow us on Instagram at I'm at a Bailey Paris on Instagram and Litzy and Annie.
1: I'm at Mr. underscore Annie
0: on Instagram. And we're on Facebook at Books on the Go. And you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. Bye for now.